there's nothing more powerful than, than uh, individuals whose lives have been changed by God making public displays like that. So if it were up to me, I'd let you go now because I think the message has already been spoken. <laughs> but if word got back to Pastor Mark that I did that, I'd, I'd be in trouble. So uh, Mark is on vacation. He and his family getting some well-needed rest this week. So pray for them on spring break. And uh, uh, I'm here. I'm not feeling the best. So if I lose my train of thought, just nod your head like you're tracking with me. Or if I fall over, just the worship team will come up and just wheel me off. I'll just keep going, okay? Say, um, <clears throat> It's good to see everybody. We're, we're on this series called Cross Walk, Following Jesus to the Cross. And uh, Good Friday, we're going to culminate the series uh, with Jesus on the cross. And we're going to look at the trial of Jesus today in, in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Um, as we get started, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a, a scorecard keeper, right? What do I mean by that? I, I like to keep score. I'm a very competitive person. Some of you who know me, students, when we play games, I, I'm, I'm, my weakness comes out when we play games. Very competitive person. I like to keep score. My, I've, unfortunately, I've passed that trait on to my daughters. So anytime we do a family game time, it unfortunately sometimes ends up in tears, someone crying because somebody wasn't playing by the rules or I pushed it a little too far in order to win. Like, <laughs> like pointing at my three-year-old, you're going down. I'll take you. And uh, she's like, Dad, that's not fair. You're not playing by the rules. So I brought in some scorecards because I, sometimes I carry around scorecards after games and my wife and I, I mean, laying in bed late at night, I'll be like, how could you forget? You know, if we're playing on teams with some other couples, I'll bring it up laying in bed late. How did you not know what that word meant? You know, I can't let things go. So I'm a scorecard keeper. I don't know if, if any of you are like that. So I, this, this scorecard I have here is a Yahtzee scorecard. Some of you have played Yahtzee before. This is, this is an intense scorecard. This is unlike golf where you have 18 holes and you just mark down what you got. And on each hole, this has lots of different columns, and because every roll of the dice, you could get different combinations, right? And uh, then you keep track up to six games, and each, and then on the back, you you have the different games and the different players. I mean, this is an intense. This is probably the most intense scorecard I've ever seen. And we were playing Yahtzee not that long ago with my family, and my I my daughter. The middle child said, Dad, you can't do that. It's not fair. Uh, and I, I remember thinking, um, it's not fair. How many of us have said that at some point in our life? As kids, it comes out in games because kids are all about sameness, right? If, if Dad, if you gave my sister an ice cream cone, then you've got to give me an ice cream cone because that would be the fair thing to do. It's about sameness, right? Treat everybody the same. And, and, but as adults, we don't think that way, do we? Do we? Uh, we're going to look at the trial of Jesus, and uh, these are the scales of justice here. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, what, we, what do we do when life doesn't seem fair? What do we do when, when the scales of justice are not evenly balanced or not in our favor? It's not fair. You ever said that? My dad would say, deal with it. Life's not fair. Anybody ever said that in here? Just deal with it. I wasn't very sympathetic to my needs as a child. When, when I was in high school, 
one of the greatest injustices in my life, which compared to many of yours, it doesn't compare. Uh, I've been blessed. I remember in my senior year of high school, um, right before, the summer before my senior year, my parents said, Kyle, we're moving. And I had lived my whole childhood and middle school and high school years in a certain town in Iowa. I loved it. It was my comfort zone. I'm a group of friends hung with. And uh, it's all I knew was, was that town and that school. Um, and my parents said, we're moving. And my world is like, well, what do you mean? My senior year? i got to move? And I came up with all these options of different things I could do, places I could stay with friends. And I, mean, I had it all worked out. My, my parents said, no, you're, we're moving as a family. And you're part of the family. We're going to go. And I was so mad. I wanted to spend my senior year with my, fam- with my friends, not my family, my friends. I wanted to play my final year of varsity soccer with the guys I'd hung with and played with for years. And I'm moving. I didn't want to move. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. Have you ever felt that way? I felt that way when um, maybe some of you in your job, in your work environment, you feel like you've done really well. You're the hardest worker in the office. And, and you, you take ownership in your job that you do. And, and then when it's time for a promotion, the person who shops online all day at their desk gets promoted. We feel that way. It's just not fair. What's up with that? Students, maybe you feel like you're, you study really hard for that test. And the best you can get to C plus or B minus, and your, your person across the classroom doesn't study at all, and they ace it. It's just not fair. How some people work harder, and they don't, they don't ever feel like they're getting ahead. It's not fair. Uh, there's probably, you could fill in the blank. What's not fair in your life? You lost a parent at a young age, maybe, or you're raising kids that right now it seems like everything's a battle, and the family, your friend's family, they don't seem to have those issues. It's not fair. Why, why isn't God treating me fairly like everybody else, it seems like? Uh, as parents, sometimes we try too hard to treat our kids the same. Um, but yet, does God treat us the same? Right, we all look different. Right? We all have different jobs. We have different families. And, and so although we're created equally and with equal value, God treats us differently. As parents, sometimes I think we need to treat our kids differently based on their needs and who they are, not just a sameness across the board. Everybody gets the same thing. Let's, let's take a look at what happens when life isn't fair. The person we're going to look at is, is our Savior, Jesus Christ. What happens when he realizes that life's not fair? I want to ask you to turn today. We're going to do something different. We're not going to put the PowerPoint up. And so you, two choices. You can just listen to the passage if you'd like to do that today. Or if you'd like to turn to page 792 in the, the blue Bibles under the chair in front of you. I'm sorry, 721. That's another passage. Page 721. It's Mark 14. I want to start with just one verse, uh, setting up the passage in verse 53, 1453. Before we get there, there's one verse before the trial of Jesus I just want to key in on. It's a few hours before the passage we're going to look at, a little context. What's going on here? It's at night. Right? The passage we're going to look at is occurring at night. And a few hours before that, Jesus is in the garden. He's praying. It's just him and God. It's Jesus and God. Before 
you know, the biggest couple days of his earthly ministry is about to start. And we get to eavesdrop a little bit. And what is Jesus saying to his father right before this time? Verse 34, I just want to read this to you. Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he says. He's telling his disciples that. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I don't know what that feels like. I've never been in a position where I know my life's going to be taken in a couple days or the next day. I've never been there. I don't think many of us have been in that position to know the grief and the, the emotions that are going on in, in, in Jesus. From a human perspective, all the emotions. He's grieved. He's, I think he's wrestling with this, why he came and he's overwhelmed with feelings. Ever been overwhelmed with just feelings? You know what the right thing to do is? You're overwhelmed with all these feelings. All these feelings are going on. Maybe in this whole idea of fairness, you, you've struggled with that. You, feel like, you get angry, um, you, you get bitter, you get resentful, you want to get even. If the score's not right, if you're not ahead, if you're not feeling like things are fair for you, for me, we want to. We We want to do something about it. Here's Jesus being honest. Uh, It's so nice. It's so good to know today that our Savior has felt that. He's overwhelmed with sorrow. He's he's struggling here. Then we're going to take jump to our passage, verse fifty-three. Verse fifty-three. They took Jesus to the high priests, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. We're going to look at the trial of Jesus today. And every, every time there's an injustice that's going to happen to Jesus, something that wasn't fair, the, the, the chief's priests were not playing by the rules. I'm just going to uh, tilt the scale here a little bit. So the first one is that this trial is happening at night. It was against the rules that Deuteronomy had laid out. You're not to have a trial at night. So already, already Jesus is being given a trial that's not fair. They're taking him to the high priest. Now in John 18, it says that Jesus first went to Annas. Now Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and they're a powerful ruling family, right? They led the Sanhedrin. Annas used to be the high priest. He still had a very strong reputation as a leader, and still was, was there, and people looked to him for his opinion. But Caiaphas was the high priest. So he first went to Annas, and he gets questioned by Annas, and then they take him to Caiaphas. And uh, the, so Caiaphas is the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders. And so he's being brought before the Sanhedrin. All right? The Sanhedrin is the supreme court of the Sadducees. There's 71 total that make up the Sanhedrin. I don't know if they were all there. It was late at night. I don't know if they were all there. One of them was the high priest, Caiaphas, and then there were 70 others. Okay? You tracking? The Sadducees were a party, like a political party, like Democrat, Republican. That's what we're dealing with here. They, they were uh, priests, and they, their sole goal was to control the temple. Okay? That was their role. That was where their power came from. It was all about the temple. Right, that's where their income came from. They were very wealthy. Um, they, they had like summer homes in Jericho. Right? They owned lots of land. They were 
the powerful people in this Jewish culture that Jesus has brought into. Okay? Got it? So anytime in the Gospels when you see chief priests, high priests, they're talking about the Sadducees here. All right? Okay, so what, what's going on? Peter's there. Mark mentions that Peter's there at a distance. Uh, Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. Now, Peter had not yet denied Jesus. It's just interesting that Peter's there. Now, Jesus is a rabbi. And the whole goal of a rabbi was to, was to teach your disciples to become like you. Okay, To teach them how to think and how to act and, and how to do certain things. And, and I think it's interesting, Jesus as a rabbi here at the last days of his life, all his disciples have fled. They've, they've left him. They've fled. And that, that's a huge thing as a rabbi to realize your disciples are gone. I mean, from an earthly point of view, that would, he's like a failure as a teacher. His students have all left him. I'm just wondering if that thought has crossed Jesus. It's not fair. I spent, spent three years, every waking moment with these guys, and then when I need them the most, they're gone. Have you ever been deserted by a friend, a family member? When you need them the most, they're gone. They're not there. Well, there's one guy who's kind of at a distance here. He's sitting by the fire. His name's Peter. And I'm so grateful that we have a God that lets us, when we need to, observe from a distance, check things out. I'm so glad that God lets us do that. Maybe, maybe that's you today. You're not real sure what you believe about Jesus and this empty tomb and the cross, but you're, you want to come and hear about it. You want to sit at a distance and check things out. That's what Peter's doing here. He sat with the guards. He's warming himself by the fire as he watches what's going on. It's also this trial is being taken place, not like the law says, that it has to be taken place in the temple, in the stones of the temple, it's being taken place in their homes, all right? That, that's against, against the law. That's supposed to be done in the homes of the Sadducees. It's supposed to be in the temple, right? In the, in the courtroom, if you will. Verse 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they didn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree, all right? Well... What was huge what was huge is that you needed two equal witnesses to convict somebody. Right? It said Mark says their statements didn't agree. They were accusing him falsely, all right? So the tails are the scales are tipping against him here. It's not fair. This trial is not fair. Jesus had every right to question and to say, wait a minute, this is wrong. This isn't fair. You're not treating me right. Have you ever said that? felt that. We're not playing by the rules here. This isn't fair. And some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days I'll build another not made by man. Yet even their testimony did not agree. They're not getting solid testimony, all right, evidence. Um, now, part of this is true. Jesus did say that in the context of the temple, but but he wasn't referring to the temple, right? Why did they take such offense at that as, as the Sanhedrin? Because that was where all their income came. That was what they were all about was the temple. And if, if someone's going to knock down the temple, that's bad news when you make all your money from the temple. 
can't knock down the temple. Yet even in their testimony, do not agree. All right. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus. Now, this high priest is Caiaphas, powerful figure. All right, powerful figure for the Jews. They looked at him like we would look at the president of the United States. Very powerful figure, had a lot of authority, a lot of decision-making ability. Uh, and so we have two very powerful figures standing nose-to-nose here. We have Caiaphas, who is the temporary high priest. He is motivated by money. He's motivated by greed. He's a fearful man. He's afraid someone's going to take over his power. He feels threatened. That's his motivation. He's a temporary high priest. He would would offer up temporary sacrifices for people. He would make money by selling animals in the temple, which, again, was against the law. The law says everybody should bring the best animals that they had. And the Sanhedrin said, no, you know, let's do away with that. This is a way to make money. Let's sell animals at the temple, and we'll, we'll, we'll make a profit that way. All right? So he was, so on one hand, you have Caiaphas, who, who's a fake priest, right? Get it? Fake high priest. And then on the other side, you have Jesus, who later on in Scripture, the author of Hebrews says, he is the permanent high priest, Right? His sacrifice is not temporary, it is permanent. So you have these, just, it's amazing, it had been awesome to be there and to witness this Caiaphas versus Jesus, two powerful figures, nose to nose, having this conversation. The high priest turns to him, which, which is, again, against, against the law. Uh, the, the judge is not supposed to play prosecutor. You're not supposed to turn to, to your... Uh, to Jesus and, and speak directly to him. Um, he wasn't supposed to do that. He's not playing by the rules. He asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? Now, Jesus, uh, another rule that they're breaking. Jesus was supposed to have witnesses on his behalf, somebody to testify for him. They didn't do that. Where, where are they going to find somebody in the middle of the night? Now, it's interesting. They could have gone to Peter. Peter's sitting by the fire. Jesus could have said, Peter, do you know me? Stand up, testify on my behalf. But they didn't give Jesus that opportunity. Jesus is not supposed to be incriminating himself. Another law that was broken. All right, it's not a fair trial. Jesus could have said, this isn't right. This isn't right how you're treating me. Do you know who I am? You wouldn't do this to anybody else. It's like our Fifth Amendment. We're not supposed to incriminate ourselves. We have that in our laws. It's not supposed to work that way. That's not how we play by the rules. But, but the high priest asks him again. Oh, Jesus remains silent in verse 6 when he gives no answer. Now the significance of that is that's prophecy being fulfilled. Lots of prophecy written hundreds of years before it said that Jesus was going to be silent as a sheep before shears, he's going to be silent and say nothing. He was going to offer his cheek when he was hit. He'd give him his cheek so his beard could be ripped out. This is all prophecy. Lots of prophecy being fulfilled here. Things being predicted hundreds of years before is occurring at this very moment in this trial. But Jesus remains silent and gives an answer. Oh, if we could be just be silent sometimes when life's not fair... 
How many of us rise up in anger or injustice and we want what's right? I mean, just the other day I'm at the grocery store and I've got three things to check out. So where do I go? The express lane. The lady in front of me has 17. It's a 15 and under checkout lane. What's up with that? That's not fair. Amen? Are you with me? Don't do that. If you have more than 15, it's not your aisle. We're, we're all about fairness, aren't we? Play by the rules or get out of the game. <laughs> and here is Jesus remaining silent. Do you know who he is? Do you know what he could have done? He could have called 10,000 angels at this very moment. Did Caiaphas know who he was? So then the high priest turns and he asks him one final question. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Significant question here. It's, he's referring back to an earlier passage in the Old Testament, Zechariah. So everybody at, who's at this trial knows the very question he's asking. Are you the Messiah, he's saying. Now, if you would have just asked him, are you a child of God, that's something he would have said yes to and not been accused of anything, because we all could say that. We are, yes, we are all children of God. A Jewish person could have said yes to that. He says, are you the child? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus, at this point, has to answer an uncompromising character. What do you do when life's not fair? Live in an uncompromising way. Don't compromise your character by getting angry or bitter. I am. And then he says this, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. How significant, oh, the power of what Jesus just says here. In Psalm 110, don't have time to look at that closely, it says this, The Lord says to the Lord, now the first Lord is L-O-R-D, all caps, talking about Yahweh, God the Father, says to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, says to the Master, sit at my right hand. On the political system today, right, news being made right now is the, who, who are the front runners going to choose as a running mate, right? Who's going to be the right hand? And, uh, but it has more significant meaning in Scripture. The right hand is, is a powerfully symbolic, uh, and it has to do with this standard, equal standard of authority and power. Who is God's right hand isn't saying, who's going to be second in command? It's saying, who is equal to God? Jesus is equal to God in authority and power. It's a standard of measure, measurement. Jesus is equal to God. And he's saying that to Caiaphas. Even though Jesus knows he's about to be persecuted and beaten, he says, I have all authority. Even, even the authority that you have that you're going to strike me, I've given you that authority. Even the authority that you're going to crucify me, that authority I have given to you. Jesus has, is the right hand of God the Father. And all in Scripture we see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father and sitting, symbolic for the job being done. He sits, the job being done. In Psalm 110 it says, God will make the enemies of the Lord, of, of Jesus, 
a footstool for Jesus. So he's referencing this passage where Jesus says, um, my enemies will be a footstool under me as he's nose to nose with Caiaphas. And then finally he says, coming on the clouds of heaven. Now clouds and scripts are all about justice. And so this is powerful. Jesus is saying, even though my trial is this trial is unjust and this trial is not fair the way you're treating me and, and what you're about to do to me is not fair. You're going to blindfold me and you're going to beat me and hit me and mock me. One day there will be perfect justice and I will be the judge, Jesus is saying. One day you will be judged for what you're about to do. Powerful statement. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. And everybody there knew the power of that statement. And the high priest, Caiaphas, he tears his clothes, and that was symbolic, and that, that had meaning. That was, you did that in mourning or repentance, and he does that in the latter here. He's repenting because he believes that you just heard blasphemy from out of the mouth of Jesus. Another rule that was broken, uh, if you're not convinced yet, the high priest wasn't supposed to be the first one to vote. Uh, the rest of the 70 were to vote. And then the high priest vote last. Well, here, high priest certainly votes first. And then he says to everybody else, what do you think? Tears his clothes, what do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. And some began to spit at him. They blindfold him. They strike him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. And it wasn't fair. I can't think of any more cowardly than to blindfold somebody and, and strike them. I wondered, did Jesus know that was coming? It was, it's not right what they were doing to him. It's God, God, it's not fair. It's just not fair. Have you ever said that to God? It's just not fair. So what do we do when we realize that life's not fair? Let me just give you a, a few points Maybe you remember them, maybe not. Maybe jot one down if one sticks out. Jesus first submitted to the will of God in the garden before he dealt with the injustice of men. Submit to the will of God first, and then it will make those abuses of men a little easier to endure. You cannot endure the injustice of men if you have not yet first submitted to the will of God. Does that make sense? It'll be a little easier to, to see that someone else gets promoted if you understand that God has a perfect plan for you. Don't worry about everybody else. God has a perfect plan for you. Secondly, look to the future like Jesus does. What do you do when you realize life's not fair? Look to the future. Jesus, as he's standing nose to nose with Caiaphas, he looks to the future. He knows, he knows what he's doing. He, gets, he, he has a big perspective here of what's happening. Sometimes we lose perspective. What is God really doing? When I had to move to Kansas City, it was hard. I hated it. But I, I believe that year, my senior year, God did something in my life, and I would not have listened to him had I been in the comfort of my friends. I believe he called me in the ministry in that time, that year away. A lot of neat things happened that I resisted it. I didn't want to go. Look for grace. What do you do when you realize that life's not fair? Look for grace. Did you ever think about this? If the world was perfectly fair and just, there would be no room for grace. 
God is not a fair God. How can I say that today? Because Jesus said this, Their sin, my death. Their sin, my death. God is not a fair God. Thank God that He is not a fair God today. Because He put our sins on Jesus. Jesus said, I will take the death. It wasn't fair to Jesus. He was perfect. Perfect, no sin. If God was fair, we would be the ones to die for our sin. I am so grateful today. I am so grateful today that God is not a fair God when it comes to the cross. Amen? And if you're here today checking out what this cross means and what we were about to celebrate next week in the empty tomb, that's what it's all about. When life is unfair, when you feel like everybody's against me, job and family and nothing's going right, I want to tell you there's hope. There is hope today. Jesus can relate to you. We have a Savior who has been there. We can say, God, you know what this feels like because you stood and you were treated completely unfair. The, the scales were totally tipped against you and you were quiet and you endured it and you were blindfolded and beaten, as the end of this passage says. And they mocked him. They said, oh, if you're the Messiah, prophesy. Who hits you? And Jesus was quiet. He didn't rise up and he didn't fight against it. He He didn't compromise his character because he had submitted to the will of God. What do you do when life's not fair? You look for grace, look for hope, submit to the will of God. And finally, what do you do when when life's not fair? There's a scorecard. Man, tear it up. What do you do when life's not fair? Tear up the scorecard. Quit, Quit keeping score. God's doing something unique in your life. And, and let's not compare to everybody else. It'd be easy to compare. Well, quick keep and score. Let's tear up the scorecard today when you realize that life's not fair. Father, I'm so thankful that you're not a fair God when it comes to the cross. Thank you that you loved us so much that you held our sins charged them to Jesus. And he went through an unfair trial, and now that Jesus can relate to us when we feel like we're not being treated fairly, thank you that we have a Savior who can relate to us. Father, for those of us today that are struggling with life and feeling beaten up, life's not fair. May we find hope in what your Son did for us in His name we pray. Amen.